0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ, and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, good morning again, everybody. Good morning. Can we thank the band for leading us in worship? Can we honor them? Thank you, team. Uh, Thank you, James. Thank you, Kat. And uh, I'm not sure if you noticed, but this is the first time since us having your baby where my wife, Leah, has been able to join the worship team again. So that's a great thing. So thank you, Leah. And uh, thanks, guys. That was great. And, um, man, so good. So good. Hey, so listen, before we jump into our message today, go ahead and grab your message notes that are handed to you in your connect folder on your way in. Before we jump into our final message for this series, let me tell you about where we're going next week. We're going to be launching a brand new series for the season of Lent, and it's called uh, How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people. Simple guide for normal people. That's right, prayer is meant to be for normal people. Um, How many of you have ever struggled to pray before? You have known where to start. Maybe you need to be super religious and The thou, thine God, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Some people don't know where to go, how to start, how to even begin, and some people have experienced some form of uh, people trying to be religious in the way that they pray, and it's weird, and it's complicated, and intense, and people just don't think that they can be a part of that, that maybe prayer is for the super-Christians on Holy Spirit steroids, but not for normal people like me and like you. Well, it's for normal people. We're going to begin talking about it next week of a simple guide for normal people how to pray. So make sure you come for that next week. It's going to be great. We're going to be studying that all Lent season leading up to Easter, which is only a few weeks away, by the way. Also, another quick note one want to remind everybody about, next week is spring forward, okay? So I use my phone for my clock on everything, so it automatically takes care of it. But if you're somebody who still uses clocks where you have to, you know, Turn the turn them and all that stuff. Make sure you set them to spring forward next week, so we're all here in church together. Sound good? Great. Okay. Make sure you do that. Okay. So today we're going to be ending our series called "Best Year Yet," and we're really excited about it. I, I'm not about you, but I really love that video that we just watched. Any of you recognize it? Have you seen it before? That's right. That's right. It's an ad from the Super Bowl. Believe it or not. Uh, The Super Bowl, I had a great time this year watching the game. Leah and I got together with our small group. That was a lot of fun. We uh, got together on a Sunday night. There was a million kids everywhere. It was pandemonium and a lot of fun. It was great food, and you guys have heard me talk about food a lot the past couple months, so I'm not going to bore you again with that, but it was my first cheat meal I got to have all year. Chips with buffalo chicken dip and cookies, and oh my gosh, it was my best cheat meal yet. It was so good. It was great. So the food was wonderful. I thought the commercials were great this year, especially for me and my interest. There were two commercials with Dwayne The Rock Johnson in, it in the first half. There was a commercial with Ric Flair, the nature boy. Woo! That was good. And then there was John Cena. Oh my gosh, it's the best Super Bowl ever. And then we got to the halftime show. Uh, And so all the adults, two minutes in, go, whoa. And all the little boys in the room went, whoa. And so we grabbed them and said, let's change this. They don't need to be seeing this. It was a great game. The team I was rooting for, the Chiefs, they won, which is great. Sorry for 49ers fans in the room. It was a great game. It was a lot of fun. And then in the midst of all of this Super Bowl stuff that is part of American tradition and part of American culture... Came this ad in the middle of it all. And it starts talking about the four great loves. Now, this ad that you saw is actually put on by New York Life Insurance Company. And as soon as I started watching it, I had my chip with Buffalo chicken dip on it stuffing my face, and I started watching them talk about the four Greek words for love with a mouthful of food. Hey, everybody shush, sure, listen. And it—they literally had read the great C.S. Lewis's book. We talked about it last week. The Four Loves, right in the middle of uh, American secular culture, was a subvertively Christian message in the middle of it all. All proclaimed by a life insurance company. I thought it was pretty profound. Now this word here for the. The crown jewel of all loves, agape, is also the capstone of all the virtues we've been discussing the past nine weeks, of everything that Peter says, of the virtue list that we need to be adding onto our faith, the greatest one of all, he uses this word, agape, love. And we're going to study it for the rest of our time this morning. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible app open on your phone, let's go to our theme verse, 2 Peter 1, 1.3, one last time. We're going to read it out loud together. Ready, go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And one last time, we're going to study and look at 2 Peter one. Verses 5 all the way through verse 7. And this is what the Apostle Peter says to us today. He wrote, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection and to mutual affection, love. Would you pray with me? I invite you right where you're at to take a deep breath and just pause. We don't have anywhere in our culture anymore places where people can breathe and be still. So let your mind slow down. Let your breathing become deep and be at rest. Just between you and God, before we enter into the rest of our time, find one thing to say thank you to him for. Do that now. And now pray a prayer like this, just you and God. God, speak to me through your word today. Speak to me, Lord, through your word today. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So let's talk about agape. This is the word that Peter uses for love at the end of our passage. And according to the biblical scholars at New York Life Insurance, they describe agape as this. They talked about the ancient Greeks have four words for love. We saw that in the video. The first three, philia, storge, eros, describe the different kinds of love that people feel. But there's one love that stands out above the rest. It's selfless love. It's called agape. Love as an action. Agape is what inspires us to put others' needs before our own. It's about doing what's right, being our best selves, and building better futures. Man, not a bad start, right? Good job, New York life. Now, but what else could the ancient wisdom of the Bible say about this word in the context of what we're talking about with God and Jesus and what's revealed to us in God's word. Well, the Bible uses agape a litany of times last week when we talked about Philadelphia and I insulted everybody from that wonderful city of brotherly love. I talked about how that word's only used 6 times in the New Testament. However, agape is used 145 times as a verb and 115 times as a noun. And it's used a grand total of 260 times in the New Testament. Wow. And we're going to read all of them one by one right now. (laughs) I want to eat lunch too. Don't worry. No, but really, um, what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, the rest of our time this morning, I'm going to answer two questions. I'm going to answer, what does the Bible teach about agape? Agape. What does it have to say about what is agape? And the second question is, how in the world are you supposed to add agape to your life? If Peter says, add this to all these other virtues, how do you do it? So what is it? How do you do it? Let's talk about this. So the first thing the Bible teaches us about agape and what it is, is that agape, write this down if you're taking notes, is who God is. Agape is who God is. First John 4, 16 says this, God is agape. God is love. It's the, his very nature. It's his very character, the essence of his being. God is love. Agape is who God is. Um, I love taking personality quiz and tests and assessments uh, on the Myers-Briggs. I'm an ENFP. Anybody here done Myers-Briggs? Three of us, cool, great illustration, yeah. Um, I've done that. I've done the. With, it's popular with young people. I call the Enneagram. I'm number two at the Enneagram. Yep, I've done strength strength finders before. I even like doing the personality assessments on Facebook, like answer these five questions and find out what Disney character you are. Right, and I'm like Mufasa, Mufasa, please be Mufasa, Mufasa. Click Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Oh shoot! You see if. If God were to do a personality assessment, you know, come back every single time. Overwhelmingly love. Powerfully love. Break the internet love. Overwhelming, powerful love. Agape. Now, it's not enough to just say that God is love and to be able to intellectually understand that. To be able to fully grasp and understand the agape of God, you can't do it in an intellectual vacuum. You have to do it within the context and confines of a relationship. So if you're taking notes, right this down. It's not just agape, is who God is. Agape is how God loves you. Not just humanity. Not just us, you, and me, you, singular, it's how he has loved you. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this, the apostle Paul wrote this, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, very rarely will anybody die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, Maybe. But God demonstrates his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God has forever and eternally chosen to demonstrate how he loves us. That when we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't have cared less, we didn't give a flip about God is precisely when he laid down his life for us to die in our place for our sins on the cross. This is how he has shown his agape. One of my favorite songs, we sang it earlier this morning about the reckless love of God. And we sang, let me read it here so I don't get it wrong and nobody wants to hear me sing it. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, hey, that hurts my feelings. Okay. It says here, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Wow. Now... Jesus was, if you're new to the Bible, you got to understand that Jesus was a phenomenal communicator. He was a phenomenal preacher. Uh, If you think TED Talks are good, man, you should read some of the messages of Jesus. They're still in circulation, still viral in a way, 2,000 years later. And part of the reason why Jesus was such a good public communicator, public speaker, was because he painted word pictures all the time. And he understood to sometimes... To tell people something isn't as effective as showing people something, especially with deep truth of who God is. And one of his most famous stories he ever told and one of the greatest word pictures he ever painted was the story of the prodigal son. In fact, this is one of the most famous paintings in the world. This is done by the great Rembrandt. This is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Uh, Many art historians say that Rembrandt was best as a painter when he was painting about the love of God and mercy towards sinners like you and me. He painted this two years before his death, and there's something about conceptual these topics that made Rembrandt's heart soft and, and pliable to God, and it was expressed through his art. Art historians have even said scandalous things like this, that this painting, many consider the greatest painting ever painted. And it's a wonderful story. See, Jesus told this story of a young man who uh, whose father had a wonderful estate and his father was getting old, but the young man cared more about money than he did his father. And so in those days, um, to ask for your inheritance early was the equivalent of, you're as good as dead to me, so just give me my inheritance now because I don't care about you at all and you're useless to me. So he said, Father, give me my inheritance now. You're as good as dead. And the father, heartbreakingly, obliged and gave this young man his inheritance. The Bible teaches, or Jesus really taught, I should say, that this young man went, and this is how it says it. If people have told you this in really religious language before, this is really what he said. That this young man went and blew all of his money on hookers and partying. Just spent it all and wasted it all until he had nothing left. A recession hit their economy. And he found himself serving as a helping hand trying to feed pigs and was so hungry that he was longing to eat the food the pigs were eating, which in those days, that was really good Jewish humor. Because Jesus is, really, when Jesus would have said that, everyone would have slapped their knee with, man, that Jesus, He's funny. Because that would have been ironic to say that a good Jewish boy who betrayed his father is now wanting to eat the food that pigs are eating, but they're not allowed to eat pigs. He's hilarious, isn't he? Yeah. He should do stand-up. No. Um, and so he says that Jesus told the story, and he said, and he came to himself. You ever a moment where you've come to yourself? Like, what am I doing? So this young man came to himself and went home and practiced this speech about how to apologize to his father and beg for forgiveness. And maybe, just maybe, his father would let him be a servant. Like, Father, if you let me cut the grass and take care of the landscaping, would you just let me even live on the property? You don't even have to call me your kid anymore. I just just want to come home in some capacity. And he practiced his speech. He practiced his speech. And as he was approaching, this is where Rembrandt gets it wrong. It looks like there's this frail old man who's hugging a prodigal who has come home. But Jesus told the story that the old man while sitting on a rocking chair on the front porch from the horizon saw his son coming a long distance away and slowly stood up and gazed out on the horizon and saw with his own eyes that it was his son that he thought was as good as dead and lost. And he got up and ran as quick as he could which would have been scandalous in ancient culture for an older man of dignified status to run. He ran breakneck speed to wrap his arms around his boy. And before the boy could even get the words out of his mouth, Father, I've sinned against you, he cut him off and said, Come, bring him a robe, bring him a ring, bring him the best clothes, bring him a pair of Jordans, and we're going to have a huge barbecue because my son is home. And held him. I'm not letting him go in the arms. Of agape. Do you know what the word prodigal means? It means to spend recklessly. And so it's interesting in the story of who's really the prodigal one. Is it the son who squandered his inheritance? Or is it the father who is loving with a reckless love? his boy who's come home. This parable is better told not as the parable of the prodigal son, but the parable of the prodigal God who loves people who have walked away from him who say, God, I'm done with you. God, I'm angry at you. God, I want to leave because I feel like you've never been there for me. And whatever reason any of us ever come with to walk away from God, he reaches out his arms of reckless agape around us to bring us home to him. It's the parable of the God of reckless love. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless agape of God for you. The great Brennan Manning talked about this too in his book Abba's Child, but instead of calling it reckless love, he called it vulgar grace. And he said this about vulgar grace. He said, my life is a witness to vulgar grace, a grace that amazes as it offends, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wage as a grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5, a grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck towards the prodigal, reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to dying thief's request who said, Jesus, remember me. And this vulgar grace looks back at him and says, you bet. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It is not cheap, but it's free. And as such will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for the grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all of our might to try to find someone or something that it cannot cover. But grace is enough. Agape is how God has loved you. With reckless love, with vulgar grace, with indiscriminate compassion. Agape is unconditional Love that God has extended towards you and me in Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, I got to do something really fun. Uh, my wife Leah and I uh, got to go on our first big date since having our baby. So, hey, pretty good, right? Um, yeah, I took her to the Hard Rock Live and I, we got tickets to go see Jerry Seinfeld. Go ahead and put up that picture, guys. Go want put up that picture? Isn't that cool? Yeah, it was fun. So it was like an hour away, and we were like, oh my goodness, this isn't a 15-minute date. Like the baby is like for real with the babysitter. Melina, where are you? Thank you so much. She's like the baby whisperer. Oh my goodness. And um, it was awesome to get to, you know, have a little bit of freedom back, right? For anybody who knows, you know. And so it was an awesome date. It's an hour to get there. So it was great to just spend an hour together without kids in the car, just me and her. And the facility at the Hard Rock Live is just stunning and gorgeous and beautiful. It's like insanely ritzy South Florida on the inside. When you get in there, the, 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 um, the guitar-shaped hotel that you could see from the turnpike, when you're driving down it during the day, it looks like they quit building it, like they ran out of money to build the fretboard. Anybody else thought that? It's not that at night. It's that they have amazing, powerful LED lights that shine up into the sky to make the fretboard. It is so cool. And so it was a great time. And uh, we, we were a little cheap. We didn't get to eat at a, a super fancy restaurant because we didn't want to, you know, test our luck too much with the baby at home. So we ate at the food court. And even the food at the food court was amazing, it was a great night, and so we went, then we went into the actual Hard Rock Live itself, and we got popcorn and snacks, and oh, it was great, and then we went and we sat down, and uh, the opening act for Seinfeld was really funny. It's this guy from New York, and he just killed, and it was really funny, and he said, thanks so much, I'm so-and-so, whatever his name was, and went backstage, and it was a great night. We'd already been at it for a couple hours. Now, wouldn't it have been weird If at that point in the night, after the opening act, and after we've had a wonderful evening so far, right then, if we looked at each other, well, this has been a great night. Let's call it a night and get in the car and go home. Right before Seinfeld came out. Wouldn't that have been strange? It would have been weird. It would have been a waste of really good money because I wanted to see Jerry Seinfeld, who killed. He was really funny. And we did not leave early, but it would have been strange if we left at the first half of the night. instead of saying for the second half and everything that's there. This is what followers of Jesus do when they lean into the agape love of God and end with, it's how God has loved me. Wow, thanks, I've had enough. There's more. That's only the first half of the gospel. There's the second half of the gospel. See, the agape love of God provides forgiveness and freedom and reconciliation for us, which is in and of itself wonderful all on its own. But the second half of the good news of Jesus is not only does God set you free, but God transforms you and changes you and conforms your character to the character of Jesus. See, agape is not just how God has loved you. Agape is evidence of Christ in you. It's transformation. 1 John 4 says this, he says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, one of the blessings I get to have as being a pastor is I get to perform a lot of weddings, and I love love. I mean, I'm a secret about me, I love watching professional wrestling and I love romantic comedies. It's not manly at all, but I just do. You've Got Mail is my favorite one. Anybody with me? Everyone's like, no, because you're lame. Cool. All right. And uh, I love love and I love doing weddings. And one of my favorite things to do at a wedding or like a vow renewal that I did yesterday is to read uh, the famous passage of scripture that's always read it weddings. Everyone's heard this before. If you've ever been to any wedding ever, it's First Corinthians 13. Now, let me read it briefly for you, but let me tell you what I do with this when I'm talking to people about it. It says this here, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, this is a great passage, and sometimes if you've heard this before, it's easy to tune it out. But what I like to do with people who are getting married or renewing their vows, or I'm doing premarital counseling, is I like to take this passage. I tell people take out the word love and put a blank there, and go ahead, we put it up there James, and in the place of the blank. Put your name and read it like that in fact I'm going to read it now and just as an illustration I'm not going to read my name because that sounds a little presumptuous I'm going to read my wife Leah's name it's a cheap way for me to earn points I know <laughs> uh, but, but no seriously it goes something like this so Leah is patient Leah is kind Leah does not envy. She does not boast. Leah is not proud. Leah does not dishonor others. Leah is not self-seeking. Leah is not easily angered. Leah keeps no record of wrongs. Leah does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Leah always protects. Leah always trusts. Leah always hopes. Leah always perseveres. James, go back one slide. Nope, the blanks. Thanks. Now put your name in it. On one hand, it's wildly inspirational. And on the other, it's a little convicting. It's hard to say, <laughs> Trevor is patient. <laughs> but this is what I'm trying to tell you. That when you put your name into these passages here, it's a promise and a prayer that you are speaking over yourself and is made possible by the love of Christ in you, transforming you from the inside out. This is the evidence of someone being a follower of Jesus. If you have followed Jesus and you've only grown meaner over your life, you're doing it wrong. But if you've grown in agape, you're getting it right. Now, it's not just that this is evidence of Christ in you. Here's the best part about it all agape is evidence of Christ in you, but agape is empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. It's not empowered by your effort or your trying or you coming into a church and you're having some preacher with a beard yell at people and say, try harder at being more loving. That's not it at all. Agape is empowered by God's Spirit, not by you. In the Holy Spirit, there is power to love people who are hard to love in your life. There is power to love your family. Power to love your kids. Power to love your spouse. Power to love your parents. Power to love your friends. And by the way, there's power to love the people who hate you. And there's power to love the people you hate. There's power to love people who are unlovable, who are difficult to love, who are not easy to be around, who are awkward and inconvenient, and even the people you despise the most. There is power to love them that is not of your own, but within you if you would reach out and grasp it. The great Cory Ten Boone is one of the greatest examples of this. Cory Ten Boone was alive in Holland when Nazis came in and took over the country. And she and her family were Christ followers. And they ended up, she and her sister were thrown into a concentration camp even though they were not Jewish. They were thrown into concentration camp because they were hiding and protecting their Jewish neighbors. And in that horrible, awful concentration camp, her sister died of starvation. And somehow, by the grace of God, Corey made it out alive. And God raised her up, this godly saint, to spread the message all over the world about the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, and forgiving people who have hurt us and wounded us along the journey of life. And so there's one speaking event where she talked about the love of God, about forgiveness of sins, of forgiving others. And as she was packing up her materials, a man walked up to her and said, "Uh, hello, uh, Corey, thank you so much. I enjoyed your message so much. And she was packing up her things and looked up at him and froze. And the blood drained out of her face. She lost her breath. Immediately, she recognized this man as one of the guards at the concentration camp. And not just any guard, but the guard who would mock her and her sister when they had to shower in front of him, naked. Responsible, in part, for her sister's death. She said she couldn't even look at him. She couldn't pull her hand out of her purse, completely panicked, completely empty, not knowing what to do. And the man looked at her and said, I'm so glad you spoke on the forgiveness of sins, because since then, Corey, I too have become a Christian and i too have asked god to forgive me for my sins and i know that he has but i would love to hear it from you would you i'm not sure if you even remember me but i was one of the guards in the concentration camp would you forgive me and she looked at him and she prayed a silent prayer in herself of lord all i can do is extend my hand but you've got to provide the feeling. I've got nothing else, but I know I need to obey you. You've called me to love all people. It's evidence of Christ in me, but I've got nothing, only my hand. You've got to provide the rest. And as she extended her hand and he shook her hand, First in fear, she shook his hand and then out of nowhere she said what felt like a current of electricity, of power, went from her shoulder down into her arm, into her hand, into the man's hand and the strength and agape of God filled her. She felt healing grace fill her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet and brought tears to her eyes and the strength of Christ welled up within her and she looked at him and said, brother. I forgive you with all my heart and tears streaming down her face. There is power from God to equip you to agape people in the world. And so that's what the Bible has to say about agape. Now, how do you do it? I'd like to invite the band to come back up. And as they're coming into place, this is important. If you want to know the love of God, the unconditional love of God for you and for another person, it's just three simple things. First is to receive. My mom and dad used to always say to me growing up, Trevor, you can't give away what you don't have. And people cannot give away what they do not have. You cannot give away agape unless you have received it first for yourself. And so if you have not yet said yes to following Jesus, yes to the love of God, yes to how he's demonstrated for you on the cross of Jesus to forgive you of your sins and lead you into a life of transformation, like was so beautifully demonstrated this morning, today's the day for you to say yes to the agape of Jesus Christ. And we will help you do that. You've got to say yes first. And then after you've said yes, you've got to deepen your understanding of this agape. Friends, let me tell you, many Christians have made the mistake of thinking the love of God is the baby pool. It's the, just the beginnings of Christianity. It's not. It's the deepest part of the pool. And the more I know Jesus, the deeper he takes me, it's deeper into love. And we'll be able to hear it from him every day. And so, the most important prayer you could pray every single day to deepen your understanding of the love of God is this I love you too. And then finally, it's to just ask, like Corey Tenboon did, to ask for the agape of God to fill you for people, for one another. Let's pray. <laughs> And so lord we thank you that you are love we thank you for how you've demonstrated your love for us in jesus would you cause the holy spirit now to let that penetrate our hearts to soak in deep so that we would become a people of love we pray we ask this in your name and everyone said, we're gonna the band's gonna lead us in a song to respond and so the altar is going to be open here. If you need to come pray, if you need to come ask for love, if you need to come to receive Christ, now is the moment to do that. Let's seek God together in our final moments together. I feel like there's some of us in here this morning uh, who are talking about loving people who are hard to love and you have people in your life who have wounded you and hurt you and you don't know how to love them. We have a prayer room right back there where some of the most kind, loving people with listening hearts will listen to your story and would love to pray with you over that. I feel like some of you need to go that way, that way to the prayer room before you go this way. If that's you, I would like to make that invitation. Go get some prayer over that. God will help you. He'll match your obedience with his power to help you love and forgive. So would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction? May God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit give us power together with all God's saints to know the height and the width and the length and the depth of the love of Christ and to know this agape love beyond knowledge. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Friends, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.